Welcome everyone to Sunday service. Special welcome to our guests here at the Expanding Light, our guests at the meditation retreat, and all our visitors, and for all those watching on the internet. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, with commentaries on both the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's topic is Ego, Friend or Foe? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ begins his Beatitudes with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit in such a way as to merit the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean to be poor-spirited. Rather, it means to see oneself as owning nothing, since all belongs to God. For all is a manifestation of his consciousness. St. John of the Cross wrote, If you would own everything, seek to own nothing. That which the soul relinquishes, offering it up to soul consciousness, is reclaimed forever in cosmic consciousness. Nothing is ever lost. Paramahansa Yogananda tells the story in the autobiography of a yogi of the levitating saint, Badri Mahashai. Master, said a disciple of the saint once ardently, you are wonderful. You have renounced riches and comforts to seek God and teach us wisdom. It was well known that Badri Mahashai has forsaken great family wealth in his early childhood when single-mindedly he entered the yogic path. You are reversing the case, the saints faced hell mile rebuke. I have left a few paltry rupees, a few petty pleasures, for a cosmic empire of endless bliss. How then have I denied myself anything? I know the joy of sharing the treasure. Is that a sacrifice? The short-sighted worldly folk are verily the real renunciates. They relinquish an unparalleled divine possession for a poor handful of earthly to toys. The Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter states, All things are everywhere by nature wrought, in interaction of the qualities. The fool cheated by self thinks, This I did, and that I wrought. But O oh, ah thou strong-armed prince, a better lesson mine, knowing the play of visible things within the world of sense, and how the qualities must qualify, standeth aloof even from his acts. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Great, thank you. I also would like to welcome everyone, and I'm going to be a little naughty here. I'm going to welcome uh, Kumari and Bob McHenry. Uh, I would like you to stand, please. Uh, Kumari was a high school student when I came here in 1972 along with Maitri, and she's been living for many years with Bob in Kauai, and they have children and grandchildren, but they've always connected and stayed, uh, maintained that connection with Ananda and with Swami. So, Aloha. Aloha. 
Great to have you here. I'd like to start by reading from Whispers from Eternity. <clears throat> Satisfy my soul hunger. O all-pervading spirit, the breeze of thy inspiration has removed every cloud from my heart. The firmament of my mind is now clear, purified. I behold only thee everywhere. The sunshine of thy joy spreads rapidly to the farthest shores of my being. After long ages of hunger, I feed on thy light. By thy grace and by my constant wakefulness in thee, may this joy be mine forever, forever, and forever. So ego, friend, or foe, it is both, naturally. <laughs> yeah, the spiritual path is simple and yet complex, both. And so the ego, as many of us know, plays the role of allowing us to know that we are a separate being. And that, for many lifetimes, is really important. In fact, I remember many years ago Swami Kriyananda saying, you have to have a very healthy ego to let go of the ego. You can't, it doesn't work to do it until you feel comfortable. What does a healthy ego mean? You feel comfortable with yourself. Maybe not completely. I mean, we don't have to get, you know, perfect about this, but you have to feel a certain at easeness with who you are. And then you can begin the long process, incremental steps of releasing the ego's hold, which is here at the medulla, releasing that into the Christ consciousness. And I remember also it was either Master or Swami that said, it's a, it's a progression of conscious realization from the medulla to the point between the eyebrows it takes place. That's how our ability to be more free of the ego happens. And Swami Kriyananda was very clear about this in Sadhu Beware, which talks a lot about the ego. It's about renunciation, but it's also about the ego. Naturally, that's how we are able, to, that's what we're renouncing. But he said the steps are always incremental meaning that we really have to engage in sadhana all along the way that allows us to let go of the grip of the ego and allows it to move um, more easily, more completely. I'm doing this because it's an expansion of consciousness. And it's, it's interesting because at first, the ego is, you can't take it really fast because the ego will simply rebel and it will find wily ways to undermine your spiritual efforts. Now, Swami Kriyananda, in the longer readings, he says, you know where the Bhagavad Gita says you must stand aloof even from your own actions? It's called dispassion. And he says there's three things 
that you need to be able, that you need to have, to have dispassion, standing aloof even from your own actions. You need to have great mental vigor, not just strength, vigor, which means that's stronger than just strength. So great mental vigor. You also need to have an iron determination, and you need to be perfectly clear about your soul's priorities. So these three things are mental vigor, you need to be awake and ready. You know, that's why, again, Master would do that at the beginning of any talk of services. How feels everyone? Awake and ready. He wanted people to be awake mentally, not to just feel like they could just sit back and enjoy the truths that he was uh, expressing to them, even though it was very entertaining. It needed to be more than that to really receive that. And the second one, iron determination, I was thinking, you know, with all of these, we could get heavy about this. And renunciation is not about heaviness. It's about joy and expansion of consciousness. It's about bliss. And I was remembering, this is a chant that Swami wrote, and the words to it are apropos to this topic, but the melody, it's about iron determination, but this is the melody that he wrote for that chant. I'm determined no more to want to play. I'm determined no more to play. I'm determined no more. I'm determined no more. I'm determined no more to play. It's light. It's joyful. It's, we can do this. But behind that, is the iron determination to do it. Because it's no joke to try to loosen the grip that the ego has on us. It's a, it's a wily foe, and uh, we have to be very serious about it. And the last uh, quality that he mentions there is we must be perfectly clear, have a perfect clarity as to your soul's priorities. And this is an interesting one. The example that he uses in Sadhu Beware about this, uh, and it's, it's always struck me, is Dr. Lewis, when he first came to Master. I mean, this was either the first night or in the first just, you know, few little bits of time when he came to Yogananda and uh, he came to him and he said, I have this dilemma because I am the president of a local spiritual group here, and uh, how can I leave those people? They will be so disappointed in me. I think he was meaning, you know, they'll be so disappointed in me. And Yogananda just looked at him and he said, don't let sentiment rule you. Interesting, huh? I mean, because Dr. Lewis was looking at a lower uh, priority, and his coming on the path with his guru was the highest priority. And so the soul's priorities are liberation. The soul's priorities are making that connection with the divine, and really the choices that we make need to be in alignment 
with that soul's priorities. And I was remembering also, I had a similar situation happen when I first came here. And I um, had visited the year before, and then I moved here. And I was involved in a situation that, you know, when you come on the path, you take things very seriously. And it's important to take things seriously. But you can also misconstrue the priorities. And so this, for me, I won't say specifically what it was, but it was a moral dilemma. And uh, I remember going uh, with the other person that was involved in this and going to Swami Kriyananda, and we were both very serious. And, you know, it looks like, well, we probably won't be able to stay here after all. I think we're going to have to move back, but we'll stay connected, you know, with Ananda and all that. And Swami, after hearing what this great moral dilemma was, he said, oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about that. You can be here. That's not going to bother you at all. He just wiped it away, but with a strong energy, because again, the ego, I mean, it can appear so clear to the ego, to your own ego, that this is what should happen. But it's not the highest priority of, for the soul. And many times, again, when you're either entering the spiritual path or you get to a crucial point on the spiritual path, the ego is always in play. You know, Swami Kriyananda, when he gave a satsang here, he said, the wolf is always at the door. <laughs> so just be aware of that and don't, it's why we say one of the important things besides having the guru to guide you inwardly is satsang, satsang with others. Because we really need help in sometimes in figuring out what those priorities really are, especially when it comes to crucial points in our life. Because making the wrong decision can take you off and in a roundabout way you may find yourself getting back to your spiritual life at a certain point but it can also really derail you um, I'd like to read something because I was thinking other than just saying um, what the things are about the ego that we need to deal with that are that are very, very important, and they are serious, and we need to take them seriously. But this was something that I ran across in The New Path uh, by Swami Kriyananda, who he's talking about Yogananda, and because this, this ability and this constant incremental working on loosening the grip of the ego that, that binds us, the, the result of that is inner freedom. That's the goal. That's where we're going toward. And so this, uh, this reading from the New Path is about that. This is Swami Kriyananda. One of the most amazing things about Master was his complete inner freedom. In the deepest matters, he maintained the simplicity and light-hearted innocence of a child. In severe trials, he could find cause for joy. 
Yet even when he laughed, he retained the calm, detached outlook of one who beheld God alone everywhere. Often in the various trifles, he saw some deep truth illustrated. And uh, when I read that, I thought, well, that's what I feel about my life here with Swami Kriyananda. I always felt like he was just very inwardly free. I remember going to his house a number of times for tea, and there'd be sometimes some very important topic that we had to talk about, and he'd be sitting there just relaxed and laughing, and we'd laugh for a while, and then we'd get around to talking about that very important topic, but more from a consciousness of super-consciousness, of relaxation and expansion of consciousness that allowed us to really draw those higher solutions that we were looking for in whatever it might be. But with Yogananda, I was remembering that, um, and I listened to a talk recently by Swami Kriyananda, where he uh, told again that story that many of us are familiar with about Yogananda going to a performance. And it was a performance done by a Bengali boxer who uh, now had taken up dance and uh, was doing a performance. There was an orchestra, and he was doing a performance where he played both the role of a hunter and a deer. And, you know, it was just, it was, and probably a lot of Indians came to this since it was Bengali. But, but Swami said he happened to be sitting right next to Yogananda during this. And he said it was so ludicrous, it was so painful to watch, and so hysterically funny. And he said tears were just rolling down Yogananda's face. And then afterwards, he went to, to greet the man, and he was completely sincere toward that man from his heart about the, the wrongs that had happened during the performance and the, the orchestra and all of that. But Swami said it was amazing to watch because he said it was not put on. It was, he related to the ludicrousness of it totally. And then from that state of inner freedom could relate, could enter into that man's consciousness and understand and really sympathize with him completely. And uh, I think that when I heard Swami tell the story in that way, I thought, you know, that's really an amazing quality, but it's what we're trying to go toward in loosening up the ego. The ego binds us. We are bound to our opinions. We are bound to our self-definitions. We are bound to what we thought about that person yesterday, last week, and a year ago. We remember that every time we see them. And inner freedom means that you're in the here and now with yourself and with everybody else. I remember also Swami saying, Yogananda, Master, he said, he was for everyone and against no one. He was for everyone in their soul, but not against anyone. 
And that's, again, quite a, quite a statement to bring up. But that, that inner freedom, it's important that we understand. As I said, I experienced that with Swami Kriyananda. I always felt like he was, he was really free. And he said uh, one time, he said, you know, the yogi, you should be so balanced that you can turn on a dime in your opinions, in your life. Turn on a dime. And I always remembered that phrase. I thought, wow, that's a, that's a real goal to shoot for. And, uh, and also I remember in his, in his life that he himself expressed that. We had a, a big thing in uh, uh, early on, you know, beginning of the 1980s where we had decided that we were going to incorporate as a city, Ananda was. And this was, this took a tremendous amount of energy. It took a lawyer, it took us engaging, it took just everything that we could put out to, and not a huge amount of people were involved in this, but a few. And it was just all consuming, and Swami was right for it. You know, we should do this, it's the right thing. And then at the very last minute, being, and we had to go through a number of really, uh, uh, angry uh, conf- confrontations with our neighbors at hearings in town. I mean, we went to LAFCO, you know, the, the county or the whatever it is, state thing that apply, you know, approves whether people can become a city. It was a very serious endeavor. But at the last time when this, um, I think it was a newspaper, person was coming to interview Swami about this and there had been a lot of upheaval about it and uh, uh, other people were there and he in that moment said you know actually I think we're thinking of dropping this whole thing to the reporter not to the people who were part of Ananda who had been working on all of this but just to the reporter and people were like what? (laughs) But he, he just he had felt it wasn't a a, a light thing, he had felt inwardly that uh, it wasn't the right direction. And so he made, he had started it, and he made that decision, and he just said, yeah, we're just going to drop it. And it was, poof, dropped immediately by everyone. I think a lot of us were grateful that it was dropped, but, but still, you know, we had had to engage in a serious effort. and. Uh, and then Swami just, uh, he felt it wasn't the right thing. And, and so he just dropped it completely. And so seeing things like that, those are real life things that happened here at Ananda. And uh, I was just thinking, I think I'd like to tell you one other uh, thing because it's, it's a sweet story at a certain point uh, Swami Kriyananda had told a number of stories in one of his talks about the Saint Chaitanya. And uh, the reason I was thinking about it is that the state of inner freedom brings you into a whole different reality. From, from here at the, at the ego's base to here is a complete revolution in your consciousness. Total. You just look at the world totally differently. And that's why it needs to be incremental, because it can't be done all at one time. Even if it looks like it's a a revelation to someone, 
there's been the incremental uh, moving along toward that direction along in life. But Chaitanya, um, it's sweet because very devotional. He was a, a scholar of logic. He had a school where he taught this in uh, Bengal somewhere. Can't remember the name right now, Navadvip maybe. Anyway, he, um, he had that and then he was very dry. He was really wanting uh, to have more of God's presence in his life. And so he went on a pilgrimage. I believe he saw the footstep of Vishnu and when he saw that, he just, it was a turning point in his life and he went into ecstasy. And this ecstasy meant that, again, his consciousness was completely changed. So he went back to his little village and tried to pick up his school again, uh, teaching, but he couldn't do it because every time he'd go to teach, he'd think of Krishna and Vishnu and he'd just go into ecstasy. So that was no good for him. So at a certain point, he um, moved down to Puri, where the great Jagannath temple is. And uh, there was a man, Sarvavalma, who was, again, also a great scholar and a, a devotee. But he, at this point, Chaitanya was doing ecstatic chanting. Now, we're not talking about just loud chanting. We're talking about chanting that took him into ecstasy and therefore everybody that chanted with him into ecstasy. In other words, it was a very deep spiritual experience. And Sarvavalma, not knowing who this nice young man was and not knowing his background as a scholar, said that he offered to help him, to teach him, so that he could learn more than just chanting. And, uh, and so he picked out, <clears throat> in order to show his uh, ability to do this, Sarvavalma picked out a, a meaning, a, a scripture saying, and he picked out 25 meanings in that one phrase. And that was a huge thing. It was something that was done at that time to show your uh, spiritual abilities. And uh, uh, Chaitanya looked at it and he said, oh, that's wonderful. He said, let me see if I can find a few more. And he picked out 90 things, meanings of that same scriptural uh, uh, saying. And Sarvavalma then realized who Chaitanya actually was. And he said to him, he said, my heart was dry and you have made it run like a river. And so that happened. But anyway, it's just, it's interesting because that revolution of consciousness, it does happen and there are ways to do it, but there's also experiences along the way that happen. And so look for those. This is not some mystical meaning unknown thing. This is happening here and now at Ananda Village, at Ananda Centers, and by people who are practicing the teachings of this path. It is an actual reality. So really try to, in your own life, come to that place where you want to really let go and offer yourself more completely into that divine presence and use the things, great mental vigor, iron determination, 
and perfect clarity about the soul's priorities for your life. Your name, I am your.